Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's going to be a great day out here on the river. It's a little cold, but when the sun comes up, I'm excited about a wonderful, beautiful spring day here in Nebraska. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm with you today for another episode of Self Brain Surgery Saturday. We're going to get into some neuroscience that's going to help you learn how to become healthier, feel better, and be happier in your life. I'm always telling you, you can't change your life until you change your mind. Now, just Today, for just a second, I want to give you the reason why that's not just a catchy phrase, okay? It's not just a catchy phrase because the fact is you're not stuck with the brain you have. You can change it, and the most powerful weapon that you have to use to change it, or I should say tool, instrument, that you have that you can use to change your own brain is your thinking. And Today, we're going to get into a couple of the early self-brain surgery techniques that we've been talking about for a while, and I'm going to give you back most of the Infinitely Happier Part 2 episode from 2021 because I want you to see not only that these ideas have been around for a while, but how they've evolved into what we're doing now, and and, and I want to tie together the the motivational aspects of it with the neuroscience and the scriptural aspects of it. The Bible is very clear. Romans twelve two says you don't be conformed to the world. In other words, don't let the world shape you. Don't don't be malleable and let the world tell you who you are and how you have to be. But rather, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Lamentation says the love of the Lord is new every morning. And neuroscience tells us that with neuroplasticity, we make new neurons every day. We wake up from sleep with brand new brain cells in our brain and neurons that fire together, wire together. So that means you have an opportunity every morning to create synapses and, and, and little motor programs and little automated behaviors to help yourself think better. Think more clearly, behave more efficiently to conquer some of the things that you've been dealing with for a long time. You have the power within you to change your mind, friend. And changing your mind will change how your brain works, how, how the neurotransmitter levels function, how the hormones occur, and how and what levels in which they occur. And that'll change the, the way that your cells and your bodies behave. And that'll change the way they divide. And when they divide, they'll be more like the ones that you influenced before with better thinking. And your body over time becomes a, a machine that's driven by more efficient thinking. It's amazing. And it's exactly what Paul told us a long time ago in the Bible, that when you think better thoughts, you're less anxious and you're more likely to be successful. And Jesus said that out of the treasure of a good heart, the mouth speaks, that the good things inside you will change the words that you use, and that'll influence people around you, and everything will get better over time. But this morning, I want to, I'm going to cover just a couple of things. It's kind of the basics of why... This concept of self-brain surgery is not just motivational speaking and why it's relevant and why it's important and why it's scientific and why you should have a tremendous amount of trust in the fact that you can, in fact, change your mind and change your life and change your family and change your destiny and change your history and change the generations after you. Before we get started, I want to send a shout out to our friend Kristen Smedley. Kristen's been on the show a couple of times, a couple of my favorite conversations ever. Kristen is a leader in the space of how to help um Children who are born with certain visual deficiencies, she had two sons who were born with a rare genetic disorder that led them to be functionally blind, and she realized that the public schools weren't able to help her her children, and so she went to work trying to raise money and, and raise awareness and change how people educate children with blindness and, and really change the destiny of people with the, that type of visual disability, and she just got a grant, $1.3 million from the federal government to help fund research for this rare genetic eye disorder, and just 
because of the force of her personality and just unwillingness to give up, she has led this group of people to develop these programs and, and push this research and has been rewarded with an incredible grant that's going to help people have real hope to regain sight. And uh, just congratulations, Kristen. Listen, friend, hard work and faith and perseverance and never giving up pays off. It may take a long time. She's been doing this for a long time. But now she's been rewarded, and there's some there's some there's some finances to put behind this work that's going to change somebody's destiny down the road. And one of these days, somebody that's given that diagnosis is going to learn how to see again because of the research that comes out of this. I'm just prophesying that over Kristen and her work because it's so incredible uh, the power of indomitable spirit and faith, and how just never giving up and, and never never being willing to believe that God has a plan for you and good things will come. And I just, it's just incredible. So congratulations, Kristen and friend, take that as a lesson. Don't ever give up. Okay. Enough of that. Proud of you, Kristen. Um, Lisa and I are just so excited. Anyway, um, I want to share something that Natasha Crane posted on Facebook a couple of days ago. So Natasha Crane's an author and speaker. We had her on the show recently talking about her book, Faithfully Different. So important. Amazing book. I hope you read it. And if you didn't, go read it. Faithfully Different by Natasha Crane. Anyway, she said something that I just want to expound on for a minute. Here's what she said. Nearly every false idea today can be traced back to the belief that man is fundamentally good. Those who think man is good live in utopian dreams of achieving a perfect society and believe that such a society is possible. But if man is not fundamentally good, as the Bible teaches, those dreams will never be reached, and the attempted making of their reality will ironically lead to social disaster. Sinful humans will simply compete for the authoritarian power to enforce their version of utopia on others. And any idea of heaven on earth detached from a biblical worldview will necessarily result in a hell on earth detached from the truth, beauty, and goodness of God. Listen, there's something really important in here, friend. And you can look at the 20th century and all of man's attempts to perfect a society by forcing people to comply with a version or vision of a perfect society that a government has and see what happens. And the culture right now is trying to tell us our, our own government in the United States for the first time in history is saying certain people are bad and shouldn't be allowed to speak. We should censor speech. We should take things offline if we, if they, we don't agree with their politics. We're, we're seeing that behavior and media and government are lining up behind it. And it's just another version with better technology of what we've seen over and over in the 20th century in Cambodia and Russia and Germany and in World War II and the cleansing of certain societies in Europe in the 80s and 90s. All of that is an attempt to create a perfected society on earth based on people who agree that they think they have it figured out because they think man is fundamentally good. And if you can just figure out the systems and make the government right, then everything will work out. But what the Bible says is man is fundamentally flawed and needs a savior. And I just want to point out to you that this is really the basis of why I've told you before that the idea that you can get your mind right and just learn how to control your thinking and meditate a little bit and clear out your toxic mental mess and you can become about 10% happier, as Dan Harris's book said, that idea is flawed in the sense that the truth is when something bad happens, this massive thing happens in your life, you lose a child or go through a divorce or, or whatever happens, when, when these massive things happen, it takes more than 10% happier to make things okay again. Like you can't get back to being okay if you're infinitely sad by, by having somebody 
teach you a neuroscience trick to meditate a little bit better and learn how to put pause in between stimulus and response, as Dan Harris says, and, and 10% happier won't cut it if you're infinitely sadder, right? And so the, the underpinning of all of that, the reason I've been telling you for a long time now that without the spiritual component, any type of mental manipulation to try to make yourself happier is just a neuroscience hack. It's just a trick, and it doesn't have power to really change your life. And here's the thing. Cognitively, you already know this, okay? And so does everybody else. The, the reason people are so outraged right now all the time, the reason if you look on social media, you watch the news, or you pay attention for five seconds, everybody's mad, everybody's offended, everybody's screaming and yelling for their way. And the reason is... If you have to be validated externally, if your identity or if your belief system or your politics have to be externally validated by other people in order for you to be happy, that target will never stop moving. You'll never get enough validation from other people to make you believe that you're finally okay. You'll never find enough respect from others to be satisfied and you'll always be chasing the next thing that's hurting your feelings and you need to be rectified for. But if you believe that you are fundamentally broken and flawed and that you desperately need somebody else to help you and redeem that, then you can find hope, real hope in Jesus Christ because he says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I've come to give you abundant life. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There is a resurrection coming. There's a time coming when all these things will be set right. Our minds will finally work like they're supposed to work. Our bodies will finally be free of disease and stress and pain. And that is what a living hope is all about. And if we're, if you take five seconds in your own heart and you have this worldview that says that man is fundamentally good and all you have to do is convince yourself that you're good and go after your best life, and, and you can find your truth, you won't be very happy because when your eyes are closed at night and when you're in bed, you know. I mean, you know the truth. And the truth is I, I, I try and I don't succeed. I, I, I want to do this and I don't ever do it. I'm always failing. I'm always coming short. I'm never quite able to pull off the things I want to pull off. And I'm just telling you, Lee Warren, I know I'm not the person I need to be. I know every day that I try something and I don't pull it off. I have an attitude that I ought to nip in the bud and I don't. I have a, a word that comes out of me that shouldn't come out of me. I have a, an, a, a belief system that turns out to be flawed in some way. I try really hard and I still find myself with my hand in the bag of Cheetos or whatever, right? The bottom line is I know that at some level I need somebody to help me. I need a savior. I need somebody to rescue me, as Paul said, from this body of sin and death. And I know I'm getting older and the things that I used to be able to count on being easier are getting harder, right? I can look at my dad, the strongest physical man I ever was around, and I can see him having trouble with things that used to be super easy for him. And so if my hope is in my own abilities, then my hope is going to fade someday right? My hope is going to fade as my body gets older. If my, if my faith is in my physical appearance, well, guess what? It ain't so great, and it's getting worse by the day, right? Thank God Lisa loves me, right? So my point is this. You will never be happy 
unless your happiness and hope depends on something that can never change. I had an interview yesterday with Troy McLaughlin on his podcast, The Undivided, This Undivided Life, which will come out close to my book launch. It was a great talk with Troy. And if you're listening, Troy, shout out to you. His, his podcast is really cool, by the way, This Undivided Life. You should check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. But um, Troy and I were talking about this idea. That you need to have your hope placed on something that can't be taken from you, something that will never erode or change with time, that that politics don't change every four years. It doesn't evolve depending on who's in the White House or who's in the, the State House. It doesn't matter who's in charge on earth because somebody else is really always in charge, right? So if you put your hope on these big things and if you know that you're fundamentally broken but somebody has redeemed you, then you will be able to find peace and health and happiness and all these things that you need. So today we're going to go back and we're going to talk about the beginnings of how we can put our brains together, how we can find some tools that will help when we're struggling with these recurring thoughts, when we're struggling with these fears, when we're struggling with these doubts, when we're struggling with these failures. We can we can put our brains together in a way that will help us fight these battles. So I'm going to give you that one back, the self-brain surgery ideas from infinitely happier part two and just give you that this morning for self-brain surgery saturday but i felt like i needed to give you this preamble because i'm bringing together the fact that motivational speaking and self-help books and and better attitudes and manifestations and all these things that these gurus talk about lack the power to actually change you and you know it when you try these things there's a cognitive dissonance where you say i know i can i can say better words to myself but it's not really going to change because i'm still the same person but when you transform your mind as romans 12 2 says when you let god rebuild your brain there's something to that and you know it on a fundamental level you can feel it you can feel some power in this idea that i'm gonna let him i'm gonna let this spirit inside me nudge me towards who he wanted me to be all along so the difference is instead of fighting for respect me believe me obey me honor me respect my identity you know say the right words about me instead of fighting that battle every day aren't you tired of that aren't you ready for something that really changes and what jesus says if you want to live you have to die to yourself. If you want to become a mighty oak tree, you got to let yourself get buried in the ground and you got to die to yourself and let some other external power transform you into who you were really designed to be. Because we're really designed to try to be more like him and less like us. If you want to change your mind and change your life, that's where it starts. Understanding that no amount of trying to improve yourself as a human being, to be a better human being, is going to make you really better. The only path, the, the real path, the way, the truth, and the life is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind into the person that he wants you to be. And that, my friend, is how you start today. Last week, we talked about the basics of this idea that I call self-brain surgery. And yeah, you can call it whatever you want. Um, you can call it personal development or self-help or any of that sort of thing. But, but the fact is, when you change how you think – you are changing how your brain functions. You're literally changing the chemical makeup of your brain, which changes how you feel, how you think next time you encounter the same problem, and you change how you respond before you speak sometimes, which is crucial. Uh, and you also improve your relationships and your sleep and everything else if you can learn how to think better. Now, this is not just some silly power of positive thinking kind of thing. It's actually been proven with neuroscience that changing how you think 
changes how your brain works, and changing how your brain works positively will change how you live. So in every way, it really is like learning how to do surgery on your own brain without the 24 years of school. If you can learn to biopsy your thinking, look at it critically, examine how your thought patterns are put together, and learn how to respond in a different way, put that little stimulus, that little gap between stimulus and response in there, then your life can change dramatically. And so self-brain surgery is this this notion that we've been getting at. And last week we talked about one little technique, the, the bad thought biopsy, I call it, that I'm using as part of the way to build this set of, of um, techniques that you can use in your own life, instruments, if you will, or procedures that you can learn to perform. And it really is like self-brain surgery. And that's kind of uh, the framework around which I'm building the ideas for this new book. Listen, life is not brain surgery. It's harder than brain surgery because you can actually train somebody. I could probably train you to do the basic procedures in brain surgery, but you have to live life in order to get good at it. But the thing about living life is that there are opportunities to learn things from other people, and that's why I believe it's valuable to let people help you, train you to do um things that will make your life better. And self-brain surgery, changing how you think, will change how you live, and it'll make positive impacts for you as we all seek to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And that's why I'm always saying that that line, that cheesy line, you can't change your life until you change your mind. In other words, if you keep thinking the same thoughts, if you never change how you look at things or the mental framework from which you approach the world, then you're going to keep experiencing the same patterns, and same outcomes. And I suspect that you wouldn't be here listening to this podcast that's designed to help you reshape how you're thinking if you were super thrilled with the patterns and outcomes you've been living with. I know I'm not. There's a lot of things I want to see changed. And it's time to take control of our brains. The most important six inches of real estate on planet Earth for you is the six inches between your ears, that the mind is sitting there And it's vital territory. So why would you let somebody else, some um, untrustworthy person, some abusive person, some memory from the past, some previous experience, why would you let that control the dynamic of how you think and how you feel and the chemicals you produce in your brain? Why wouldn't you want to take control of that and be in charge of it for yourself? Of course you would. So that's the idea, learning how to take control of that Six inches of real estate between our ears is where we're after. That's the thing that we're after here. In the last episode, we talked about how to preload some ammo, some good words and helpful thoughts into our brains and hearts so that when stressful moments come, we'll be able to call on those good things and use them to manage anxiety and depression and things like that. And it's a great instrument. It's a powerful tool to use in your fight against the learned helplessness of being emotional slaves to your first thought. And what I mean by that is I like to put a lot of scripture. For me, it's scripture that works for me. You can use whatever you want, but scripture, I believe believe has a double power of being just not just wise words, but also also bringing um, spiritual direction and divine intervention into your life. I believe that with all my heart. So it's an instrument that I use to, to put scripture into my heart and into my mind that I can use to call on that gives me a tool in hand to fight and deal with whatever life brings me. 
So that's a useful thing. So I don't end up just being reflexive and falling victim to my old thought patterns and my old response patterns. I'm instead choosing to preload some weapons, some tools, if you will, to perform these operations that I need to change my own mind and therefore change how I live. Listen, your first thought when you encounter a challenge, when you encounter something bad or something difficult, your first thought is almost always reflexive and it's built on past bad experiences because bad experiences are wired so much more powerfully into your memory that you don't even have to think about them and often don't recognize that you're relying on them to determine how you're going to behave. And that's so common that that first thought is wrong that it's almost self-malpractice to, to go with that thought. It's better. It's better practice. It's standard of care for self-care, if you will, to learn how to examine critically that first thought and change it and replace it with a better one if it's in need of replacing. So just like in the real operating room, the secret to successful self-brain surgery is training, preparation, planning, and practice experience. Today, we're going to look at how those four things, training, preparation, planning, and practice experience, play into successfully managing our minds and helping us overcome the issues that continually seem to drag us down. Proverbs seventeen twenty-seven and 28 in the Passion Translation, I mentioned this uh, last week, it says this, can you bridle your tongue when your heart is under pressure? That's how you show that you're wise. An understanding heart keeps you cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing. And that's what we're after, not necessarily just bridling your tongue, although that's important, but can you bridle your brain? Can you learn how to change how your mind works when your heart is under pressure, when the stress is on? Can you learn to respond wisely? Can you keep cool, calm, and collected no matter what you're facing? That's what we're after because that's the secret, one of the secrets, to becoming infinitely happier, my friend. Learning to stay cool, calm, and collected no matter what we're facing is a useful tool anytime, especially during a global pandemic, but it's also useful in everyday life in all of our relationships and our work and our business and our financial decisions. It's, it's an important technique to stay, to learn how to stay cool, calm, and collected no matter what, but it doesn't happen by accident. It happens by self-brain surgery, and that, my friend, is what we're going to learn how to do, and we're going to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. When I'm dealing with a patient that needs surgery, I don't just roll back to the operating room and wing it. No, the secret to any successful surgery is for me to apply my training 
to make the right diagnosis so I know what needs to be done, being prepared for the operation, approaching the case with proper planning, and to rely on my practice experience to get it done safely. Remember last week I talked about Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. He has a quote in there that I think is vital to this idea of learning how to handle your mind no matter what you're going through. Here's what he said. When the pressure's on, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your highest level of preparation. Chris Voss said, when the pressure is on, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your highest level of preparation. This might surprise you. But not all surgeons are equally good, and not all surgeons are created equally. Now, obviously, most of the medical subspecialties, the the hard ones to get into, ophthalmology, neurosurgery, orthopedics, um, heart surgery, those things like that, they require you to exceed, uh, to excel in school. All the students that get into those residency programs did a great job in college. They got got into a good med school. They did well in medical school, and they set themselves apart from their peers. So all of those surgical subspecialists and and other types of super specialists in medicine, all of them are good students. But what happens is after you all take this bunch of good students that get selected to become certain types of surgeons, et cetera, not everybody is equal and not everybody ends up being as good at what they do as you might think based on the fact that they were all really good students, right? But the fact is there are some things that separate really good surgeons from less good or even bad surgeons. Some of it is wired into your brain and how your cerebellum works and how good your hands are and how good your eyes are and and that sort of thing. Some of it's instinctual, like do you react to problems well, that sort of thing. Some of it's about training. You went to a, a better or a worse training program. But part of it is about how the person is wired. And one good example of that is some surgeons that I trained with, they had one way of doing every little thing, one way. And sometimes you get into an operation and that one thing isn't working. And those surgeons struggle. They lose more blood. They take longer. They have a harder time handling the problem. Other surgeons have four or five or ten, it seems like, different ways to approach every single problem, every type of operation. They've got multiple ways they can skin that cat. And I've learned, I learned over time that those surgeons that had multiple tools to throw at, multiple techniques to throw at a particular problem, they always seemed to be better surgeons. They didn't freak out as much. They went faster. They didn't lose as much blood. Their patients had better outcomes and less pain and fewer problems. They were just better surgeons because they had multiple ways to deal with any particular problem. So one thing I'm encouraging you is as we go through this process, you need to have a resiliency about you that your brain is wired, that you wire your brain yourself to learn to have multiple strategies in place to be prepared to be agile whenever life throws something surprising at you. The first thing that I do when I'm looking at a case, when, when a patient comes to me and I'm looking at films and I'm thinking about the problem, is something that also applies to self-brain surgery. And that is I always have to get right about who I am before I proceed with a case. Here's what I mean by that. Even though I'm a really good surgeon and even though there's a lot of things that I know how to do very well in, in neurosurgery, 
there are some things that I don't do very often, certain problems that I don't see very often or never, and there are some types of surgery that are even more subspecialized than I am. Cerebrovascular surgery, aneurysm surgery is a good example of that because it's changed over the years, and now most of it is done interventionally by radiologists who do, but neurosurgeons or neuroradiologists who do interventional procedures where they treat the aneurysm from the inside. So over the course of my career, over 20 years, hardly any of us are doing open aneurysm surgery anymore, which is sad to me because I used to be really, really good at it. But now if I see you in my office and you've got an aneurysm, most likely I'm going to refer you to a surgeon who does endovascular treatment because that is the standard of care and it's something I don't know how to do. I'm not trained to do that. And so I have to be right about who I am when I look at your case, and I have to have to be honest with you and with me about whether or not I'm the right guy to deal with that problem. This is important in the concept of self-brain surgery because there are some things that will come along in your life. Substance abuse is a good one, a good example, where you're not the right person to handle that by yourself. If you've got a substance abuse problem, you need professional help. If you've got clinical depression and you're not eating and you're in danger of starving yourself to death – or you're thinking about suicide, you need professional help. You've got to get right about who you are and know when you need somebody else involved in your care, okay? So be right about who you are. The second one I have to do when I'm looking at a case is I have to be real about what I want. I've got to know what outcome I realistically can achieve and what my goals of that surgery are so that I can sit down with you and we can have a real conversation about the risks and the benefits and the possibilities and what I might and might not be able to do. I've got to be real about what I want. I can't just go back there and start cutting people open and winging it. I've got to be real about what the goals are. And the the last one is, I have to be clear about how to get there. I've got to have a clear plan in my brain before I start an operation of how we're going to proceed through the steps of that procedure to get to the desired outcome in a safe and efficient way. You have to sort of begin an operation with the end in mind, kind of like writing books. So the bottom line is that in order to do all the things I just talked about, get right about who I am, real about what I want, clear about how to get there before I do an operation – In order to do that, I have a set of things that I also have to have. I have to have principles. So there are certain principles that you learn in medical school and you learn in residency training, certain things that you have to know and own. And if you don't understand the principles, you will mess up the procedure. So understanding the principles will keep you out of trouble. Understanding how the physiology and anatomy work and the principles of how tissue is going to respond to certain types of treatment is crucial. And the same thing is true of your brain. Like if you know how your brain works, then you can learn some principles about how you can sort of trick your nervous system into building better um, thought processes and behaviors for you. But if you don't know the principles of how it works, then you'll never be able to master your own mind. There are also procedures. Like I said before, one of the reasons that training is so long for surgeons is that there are multiple procedures that we have to do thousands of times before we get good enough at them to safely do them on our own. So you can have this set of procedures, like last week we talked about the bad thought biopsy. We've talked before about the lousy attitude lobotomy and about draining doubts and about severing six synapses and all those sorts of things. Those are just funny names that I've given to these ideas of how you can take charge of your own brain and manage your mind in a way that benefits your own life. And then there are instruments, there are techniques, uh, uh, sorry, instruments and tools that we use, like we talked about last week, of having... Um, 
things available to you and ready to go when you need them so that you can manage your mind with them. In the operating room, we have what we call trays, and these instrument trays are packed with all the things that I might need in order to accomplish a particular type of surgery. So if I'm going to do a lumbar uh, microdiscectomy, for example, to take pressure off your sciatic nerve and, and eliminate your leg pain, then there's a set of instruments called the basic spine tray and the microdiscectomy tray that's got all the stuff on it that I'm likely to need. And so if I don't have the right tray, then I might get into a case and run into a problem and not have what I need to get that case done. So one of the keys is always making sure that you have available to you the instruments that you need to accomplish the task that you're intending to accomplish. So last week we talked about preloading your brain and your heart with scripture, with with good ideas and good things to think about to help you throw at those problems that pop up in your mind. Those are examples of having the right instruments available. We'll go through that in the coming weeks as we talk about different techniques. We'll make sure that we give you the right instruments to deal with those problems. Now, we're all constantly operating on ourselves. We really are. You're constantly, you know, either beating yourself up or encouraging yourself to do better or remembering something that didn't go well. The problem is you got to make sure that those operations that you're doing on yourself are actually helping you and not harming you. You don't want to be committing malpractice against yourself by being overly negative, by dwelling on the past, by being uh, fatalistic or catastrophizing things. Those are bad instruments and they're the wrong operations to be performing on yourself. So in the coming weeks, we'll talk about the good and the bad types of self-brain surgery and make sure that we're always doing the right ones. Because after all, if you're going to operate on your own brain, and you will, don't you want to be a good surgeon? I can help you with that. And that's where we're going. So remember those Bible verses I gave you last week? Here's one of them I want you to remember this week. First Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's one that I want you to carry around in your heart. I want it in your instrument tray all the time because anxiety constantly pops up, especially in a time like this. But when there's financial strain, when there's a global pandemic, when there's a virus out there that's scaring everybody, when you're worried about your job or your marriage is in trouble, you're going to face anxiety. And one of the tricks is to have handy something you can throw at that anxiety and or a place that you can throw that anxiety to and that verse just works for me first peter 5 7 cast all your anxiety on him jesus because he cares for you that helps me in my life that is an instrument that is useful to me and i would encourage you to develop a set of those and have them with you all the time because here's the deal every surgery brings something new Every time I do an operation, well, not every time, but frequently, there's something surprising about that operation. No matter how many times I've performed a similar surgery in the past, there will be a little variant in the patient's anatomy or an unexpected artery or a challenge that's not exactly typical that will pop up and it will make an operation either a little bit more interesting, a little harder, a little trickier, a little take a little longer than we anticipated. And when those things happen... We've got to rely on our training, our preparation. We've got to have seen that before or something similar enough before and have prepared in advance for that thing to pop up so we know we've got the right instruments, we've got everything handy to be able to take care of whatever eventuality might pop up during that case. And the good surgeons are the ones that plan ahead for the unexpected things to happen and being ready for them. 
In Iraq, we often had external issues, mortars and rockets and casualties in excess of what we had supplies to take care of, power outages in the operating room. Sometimes there were things outside of my control that would pop up and and give me stress in managing the patient I was trying to manage. But we were prepared for those things. We talked about them. What if the power goes out? What do we do? Everybody's going to stop. We're all going to hold still. We know the generators come on in 30 seconds or whatever. We would be ready. We talk about those things going into the case so that we were ready for them and we weren't at the mercy of them and we were still able to safely take care of our patients. Well, guess what? In self-brain surgery, in trying to manage, to, to learn how to make your mind more resilient and handle the challenges that life brings us, there's almost always something coming at us like a global pandemic or marital problems or financial issues or some disease or some issue that pops up that we didn't see coming. And the question is, how high is the floor of your preparation, friend? Because you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to fall to the level of preparation. So my goal with this podcast and with everything I do and everything I write is to help you raise the floor of the preparation so you don't have as far to fall when you need to fall back on how ready you are to deal with the problems that are inevitably going to come along in life. Next time, next episode, we're going to talk about synapses, those little connections between nerves. That's where the business of the nervous system happens. You've got around 100, 100 trillion, think about that, 100 trillion with a T, synapses in your brain alone. All those vast numbers of connections between neurons, the cells in your brain, and the cells in your peripheral nervous system, all of those are where the action happens in the nervous system. And when your synapses are sick, when they don't work right, when, then you don't work right. If your synapses are diseased, your life is going to be diseased, and things aren't going to work well for you. And we're going to look at two diseases that affect synapses in real life and talk just briefly about the differences and similarities in those two diseases because I find an interesting metaphor if we zoom in and look at how intricately we're designed and what the problem is when synapses don't work right, we're going to learn some invaluable lessons about our own lives. But before we start changing our lives by changing our minds, we needed to understand the importance of training, planning, preparation, and practice. It's self-brain surgery. It's biblical. It's consistent with neuroscience, and it's good self-care, and it'll help you in your life, but you have to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day. Okay, if you're still with me, I just want to spend a few more minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm geeking out on how wonderfully made we are, how incredibly awe-filled I am this morning 
as the sun rises over the North Platte River. And I just want to, if you're still with me, if you're working out or driving, or if you've got a few more minutes, I'm going to give you back Tommy Walker's song, Living in the Wonder. Just keep worshiping and thinking about all these wonderful things and spend a little time giving some awe to the guy who created this incredible body and unbelievable mind and incredible universe that you have. And let's just live in the wonder and the fear and awe for a few more minutes, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. the beginning and the end. 
the one who was dead but now lives forevermore. And a day is coming and nothing can stop it when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. He's the king. He's the judge of all the earth. And even now as we stand here, all of heaven is shouting out, worthy is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we say, who is like him? Who is like this God? Surely there is none. There is none like him. In the wonder of our God. 